0: You have questions? I'll find the answers. This is the Indoor Cycle Instructor Podcast number 42. Hi, this is Amy, the Senior Group Fitness Instructor at the Indoor Cycle Instructor Podcast. Are you looking for a spark of inspiration to bring to your next class? Find us at IndoorCycleInstructor.com. I'm John McGowan, your host, and I love getting emails from listeners like you, john at Instructor.com, or you can find us online at indoorcycleinstructor.com. In this episode, questions and answers with spinning master instructor Mark Tickner. But first, I need to remind everyone about our most remote listener contest. Now, if you're outside of North America, you can enter. I just need you to send a picture of you and your remote location. The winner receives a set of epic rides courtesy of Epic Planet TV. Now, when I say remote, it's not necessarily distance. It's I'm looking for somebody who's maybe has that little studio somewhere in some remote island, or you know who you are, and I'm waiting for your picture. And now, through the wonders of the Internet and Skype, Master Spinning Instructor professional, multi-sport endurance athlete, and master coach with Training Bible UK, Mark Tickner joins us from Petworth, West Sussex in the United Kingdom. Mark, welcome to the Indoor Cycle Instructor Podcast.
1: Hello, John, and uh, thank you for inviting me onto your podcast.
0: First of all, tell us, kind of give us an idea, where in the UK is West Sussex?
1: Uh, West Sussex is... Well, if you know where London is, it's uh, something uh, somewhere between uh, London and the south coast. So if you go about 30 miles south of London and a little bit west, that's pretty much where we are. Describe the, the countryside. Oh, describe the countryside. Well, it's, uh, I think, stereotypical postcard countryside images where we are. We're in the, in the middle of nowhere, to be honest. Okay. Um, uh, but it's uh, beautiful green fields, lots of forests, and we're nestled right between the North and the South Downs, which is um, a range of hills which are uh, renowned for their beauty and outstanding natural um, uh, beauty. Uh, so it's uh, a, a, fan- a beautiful place of the countryside, to be honest. Oh,
0: wonderful. I know a great place to be out training, I imagine.
1: It's fantastic for training, especially riding the bike with the, the hills and the and the valleys, and it's, it's, it's very, very nice, yes.
0: Okay. Now, you had told me that you had an event today. To, uh, tell us what was happening there.
1: Um, it was just a, a small local duathlon that we had. Um, I was just looking for an event before, I did, before my main events of the year. So me and my girlfriend, Michelle, who's also a master spinning instructor, we thought we'd just go and have a look online to see if there are any local events. And there just happened to be one at this uh, aerodrome 10 miles from my house, which I thought would be perfect for us. So we, uh, we entered and uh, did the event this, uh, this afternoon.
0: You were describing that – or telling me that this is, takes place entirely within a kind of a race car track.
1: Uh, it does, yes. It's uh, on an aerodrome, uh, which is featured in a very famous sort of TV program in the U.K. called Top Gear. It's the sort of the number one motoring magazine show, and it's very, very um, uh, famous in the U.K. And it's, uh, it's on this aerodrome, and uh, the event was held around the aerodrome, and – uh, we did a small little run, which was four and a half kilometres, followed by a fifteen kilometre bike ride, and then another four and a half kilometre run. So it's very fast, very short, and very very painful. <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: I was just trying to think of the distance. So yeah, that would be a very uh, more of a sprint or a sprinter sprint. Yes.
1: Yeah, very sprinty. Uh, yeah. So it's uh, uh, not something I'm not used to, to be honest, because I'm used to doing the Ironman event. So. Uh, yeah, it did it, it hurt quite a lot quite a lot, yes.
0: And were you successful? Uh
1: yes, I came first, which was quite a surprise, um, out of two hundred people, and my girlfriend Michelle was second.
0: Well, you'll have to congratulate her as well for us. Thank you. I I presented um a request to the people in my community, those people that are on my email list, and I thought, you know, it'd be interesting if you know they had questions for you, rather than me sit here and have to come up with my own questions. And man, did they have questions. I think I had 30 responses, and there was at least 100 questions total. And they were very well thought out. And it's almost like these were questions that had been in the back of these people's minds that, boy, if I just had a way to ask the question. Well, that's what I'm trying to provide here with this podcast. So, and I've given you some of the questions. A couple of them came late, so you haven't gotten all of them.
1: Uh Okay.
0: I tried to kind of categorize them so that they're not completely random. And i put them in a into groups, some what I would call general just questions, some foundation questions meaning you know how do you create the foundation of your class and those components that go around it part what I describe as presentation interactions with your class and I was surprised that I don't think I got any questions as far as your music choices, but then I also had a category of more training that goes to your role as a... Well, tell us about uh, Training Bible UK. What's your role there?
1: Training Bible Coaching is a uh, a company that was founded by Joe Friel. I'm sure uh, yourself and many of your listeners are familiar with Joe Friel. And Training Bible Coaching UK was uh, started in October last year, and I approached the the guy that brought it into the country um, called Rob Griffiths uh, to ask if I could uh, represent training bubble coaching and he uh, interviewed me and and we chatted and I'm now a master a master coach for training bubble uk
0: it's an, it's online training or are you actually uh, working personally you know face to face with these athletes
1: we do both to be honest um, it starts off online uh, we Get people uh, through the internet who are looking for coaching, and quite simply, we then ask them to fill out a questionnaire and do all the usual things that a coach might do, just to get a, a good deal of information about the person. And then we basically tailor a training program for them online um, via Training Peaks, which is the software that we use. To give the training program to the cl- to the client, and then they log on to Training Peaks and they look at their program and have a look, and they do all their training on the uh they go through all their training and then we interact with them via email or on the phone and if they're local to me then we'll see each other face to face and we fitness test all our all of my athletes so we do our gas analysis te- uh, testing with new leaf which i i understand you know all about john i i'm a, a huge believer in it absolutely Uh, we fitness test them so we obviously give them their heart rate zones and power zones because we have a number of clients that use power as well as heart rate and some that don't use either or either so I try and fitness test them first just so I can see where they are in terms of what we need to work on and where their limiters are and where their weaknesses are and where their strengths are and that's pretty much what we do to be honest there are three levels of uh, clients that I work with um, the bronze, silver and gold clients and basically, all they're doing is paying for my time. So, the higher the level of client, then obviously the more time they have to interact with me, so they can, so we can really fine tune their trading and training a little bit further. And uh, I, I love it to be honest. I've been doing it for uh, probably uh, coaching endurance athletes for around about probably about ten years now, but more specifically full time as a as a proper profession, probably for the last seven years. So, it's uh, something that we've sort of nurtured and put together with our own uh, company They're called coachfortry.com dot com, and it's, uh, it's been going from strength to strength for the last six years, so it's, it's fantastic. And when I say we, I say me and my partner, Michelle Colvin, who was the master spinning instructor, so we founded our company together. It's going from strength to strength, and I, and I love my job. I can hear the
0: passion in your voice. Okay, well, and that leads me to my first question, is that which came first, your coaching or your uh, role as a spinning instructor?
1: My coaching, I have to say. Um, simply because I've been coaching people on and off pretty much since I left school and then I went into the army and the parachute regiment and uh, came out and was straight into the leisure industry. So I've been coaching people probably since about 1992, something like that. So. Pretty much on and off for pretty much twenty odd years. I started off as a swimming instructor, teaching little kids how to swim, and enjoyed that immensely. And then went on to adults, and uh, that progressed into uh, teaching a triathlon club, which I'm a head coach of, uh, a local triathlon club where we are in the UK, and uh, has seventy members. And I've been teaching them swimming for the past, I don't know, twelve years now. I think. Okay. So it's quite a while. And, so, it, so it so it predates even spinning. It does, yeah. I, I started spinning probably around about 15 years ago. In fact, I don't know if I should say this, to be honest. I actually started uh, indoor cycling with another indoor cycling program. Oh no, that's just, fine. We're we're com-
0: we're completely non-denominational on this
1: show. I I know you are, <laughs> which is fantastic. Um, I started with the Pulse indoor cy- cycling program, and I love that. I, and I did that just simply to to add another string to my bow as I was just working as a gym instructor and personal trainer and wanted something just a bit more dynamic I suppose and that led me towards spinning as I went to a big event and I saw a master spinning instructor there on stage and I thought wow what is this you know it's completely different to what I teach and uh, it just it was just something a bit more involving and something that was just close to my heart I think it was something that I was missing in my teaching that I, but I didn't know how to get it so I then inquired about, you know, becoming a spinning instructor and I went on the course just, uh, just as every other person has gone through the two-day course and I haven't looked back since. Um, and that led me to, I suppose, working as a spinning instructor for about six or seven years before I was actually invited to become part of the uh, master instructor team. And so I went on a five-day master camp and uh, became a master spinning instructor. So that was probably one of the highlights of my year, uh, my year, no, the highlights of my life, I think, uh, meeting Johnny G. He's quite a dynamic individual, isn't he? He's a, he's an awesome guy. He's, uh, once you meet him, he's one of these guys that sort of you're fixated with him. He's uh, got these piercing blue eyes and he's just one of these guys that you just can't stop um sort of talking to and and you i don't know he just has this presence about him it's it's very difficult to describe really to be honest i'm actually going to be meeting him next week at the fibo event the really big european fitness show next week in germany so i'm looking forward to meeting him again after about four years But, but yeah he's a he's a fantastic guy very passionate about spinning very passionate about cycling very passionate about life to be honest so uh yeah he's a bit of a mentor for me i must admit
0: Oh, yes, for you and quite a few others. All right. And and I forgot to add, Kara Daly provided that question and I've talked to Kara in the past. So I just want to make sure that uh, we didn't skip by her. Okay. Then the, the next question I'm going to ask is, as far as certification in the UK, uh, we, we interviewed uh, Ryan Hogan in Australia and he explained a very comprehensive training program for group fitness instructors and work. And, and the question from Joe is, you know, is there a similar Comprehensive training, or is it a little more relaxed like it is here in the United States?
1: Um, I think we go through a different style of spinning orientation clinic to you guys in the in the states. Uh, I, I believe you have a one day course which is very long and very uh, very intensive, uh, about twelve hours long, or it may even be i think it 's ten or twelve hours long in one day, but we have a two day clinic uh, in the United Kingdom simply because we feel I think we wanted to Extended over two days, but also to keep it in line and in keeping with getting the required hours in a training course to come under the UK guidelines for what we call reps, the Register of Exercise Fitness Professionals in the UK. They have a stipulation that every course that is is recognized has to be at least 16 hours long. So the only way we could do that in the UK is to break it down into two days. Um, So that's what we have in the United Kingdom. The two-day clinic itself is very intensive, um, and once they uh, finish the course and pass the course, they then get their basic certificate of completion of the course. It's not their full certification, but they have then six months to a year to actually go through their training program, or, or and they have their training to actually go through, and uh, they have their manual, which they use, and in that time, they're required to learn the manual back to front, uh, and they learn it in three phases, and... Part of their program, part of their training, is actually to uh, teach classes, to get experience and to get some knowledge, and uh, to, you know, get used to putting profiles together and using different music, and you know, getting um, sort of passionate about the program. To be honest, uh, it then once they get through that six to one year period, they can then go online and uh, do the spinning exam. They then have to get, a, I believe, an eighty-five percent pass mark, and once they get that pass, they then get their full certification. Part of the certification is they have to keep their uh, license updated and current every two years. They have to earn a certain number of points with their spinning certification, but also just to keep uh, their reps' um, certification up to date as well. So they then do continuing education courses, and there are many, which are fantastic continuing education courses, And they can do um, online courses and also uh, go to spinning events and fantastic one-day tours that we do in the UK as well. There they can obviously meet the master instructor and learn from the master instructors and ask many questions and, and basically get a bit more passionate about the program. I think it's important that instructors do actually go to these events because it's I think you learn so much more from a, from a, uh, an event, to be honest. It, it's, it's something I don't know. It's something different about it. You can see how a master instructor teaches, and the words and the terminology that they use, and the music that they play. And you don't necessarily have to ride, and but you you can you take notes. And I think you learn more from an event than you actually do just going on a one-day course, to be honest.
0: Oh, I would agree completely. Although here in here in America, we tend to be we want everything very quickly and right now.
1: Yes, Sorry. I mean, we just had a, a three-day event in Blackpool, which is our biggest event in the UK. It's three days of sort of five or six uh, hour rides through the day, but each day has also mixed in with it some um, lectures and some workshops and not necessarily about spinning itself, but maybe about teaching techniques and about physiology, uh, physiology and anatomy and and all sorts of things and professional cycling and strength training on the bike and strength training off the bike and all sorts of things like this. And, uh it was amazing. Uh, had just over a hundred bikes. Um, it was the international fitness showcase in Blackpool. It's the event that all the master instructors look forward to because we meet, you know, over a hundred instructors, and uh, it's just a t- it's just a place that we can let our hair down and have some fun and uh, give back to our students that we've uh, been working with all year. To be uh, to be honest, so it's uh, we just did that, and uh, it's very very tiring, but it was something that we look forward to every year.
0: Okay. Now, Letitia Barnes asked. Describe the worst spinning class you ever attended, and then describe the best class.
1: Oh, the worst spinning class I've ever attended. Not actually teaching, but attended. Right. I I guess if you have a
0: specific memory of one.
1: I think I I have this memory of of going into London and participating in a class with an instructor, or so-called spinning instructor. I think they were playing some Pretty fancy music, but it was the same monotonous music all the way through. There was no change in rhythm or beat or anything like that. It was the same dancey type of music, so it had this monotonous, you know, bass beat going in the background, which was quite well off-putting for me, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And then the instructor started doing crazy things, like spinning really fast with their legs going at i I don't know, a hundred. 30, 140, 150 revolutions per minute, wildly out of control, bouncing in the saddle, whooping and hollering and yee-hawing and things like that, which is great, you know, but, you know, I'm not really a cowboy-loving, knee-slapping type of person, so I don't like to whoop and holler, to be honest. So that was very off-putting, and then we'd go through some really crazy things like, you know, so-called sprints where we were just sprint as fast as we can and everybody in the class was bouncing wildly in the saddle and there was only about two or three of us that were sort of knew what we were doing looking, each, looking at each other sort of with sort of puzzled faces but uh, it wasn't really the best sort of class that I've been to that's for sure and I'm not really one to actually go after the class and say hey I'm a master spinning, spinning instructor have you tried doing it this way you know it's not really my sort of thing but mm-hmm. I'm certainly give con- uh, you know, constructive um, Feedback—that's for sure. But uh, yeah, this this person certainly needed a lot of continued education. That's for sure. <laughs> okay. Now, the best class you've ever taken? Oh, that's difficult. There's so many classes uh, classes that I've participated in. Uh, well, uh, can
0: you can you describe what what the type of class that's most appealing to you?
1: Yeah, um, I think some. I got uh, introduced to spinning by a, by a master instructor or. Uh, he's no longer with The Spinning Program, but a guy called Matthew Griffiths. And he was just so inspiring to me. He would play this really cool sort of music that I haven't really played or listened to before. And it was sort of this sort of dancey, jazzy type of music with trumpets and saxophones and drums and really cool music that, that just sort of opened my ears to something new, which was really fantastic. And that's really what started it, all this – this, uh, but, but – uh, Matthew Griffiths was this sort of very quiet instructor. Didn't really say too many words and wasn't very aggressive, but was actually quite laid back and calm. And but the words that he did say were were very positive, you know, very calming and very inspiring. To be honest, so that's that's really what what I what I do look for in classes, and it's very similar to Johnny G's um, classes. To be honest, he plays this fantastic music, but he's very passionate and inspiring with his words he doesn't need to say many words in fact he hardly uses any words when he teaches he uses a lot of visual sign language to be honest and you can tell by his look and uh you know his eyes when he's looking at you that, that there's something about him that that just i don't know it just inspires me to be honest
0: all right and then now my last question in this category i guess you call it is that um oh, no forgive me i didn't cut and paste this person's name but you'll recognize your question is indoor cycling has the potential to be one of the most effective group activities to bring people to fitness what would you suggest needs to change to bring many more new people to indoor cycling rather than just continue to teach and train the converted
1: my um, idea is that pretty much we shouldn't you know, think about indoor cycling or spinning as an elitist type of activity because I hear so many people say, "Oh, I went to that indoor cycling class or spinning class and it was too hard." Or I hear so many people coming, uh, coming out of the class saying that was really hard. Or you know, any people leaving the classes, you know, still dripping with sweat and glowing faces, and you know, saying that, oh, my legs are really tired after that." You know, so I'm I'm all for giving classes for everybody. So, I, I will never call my class an advanced, intermediate, or beginner type of class. Every class that I teach is suitable for all levels, and I will always make it very specific and as a master instructor i suppose you get these skills over over the years that you can actually adapt the class to cater for each one of those client uh, each one of those clients so you can cater for the new person to spinning or the person that's maybe done a few classes or maybe someone that's maybe a an elite road cyclist that cycles for, you know does cycle racing and time trials and things so you can adapt the classes to all it's just that i think it needs a lot of experience on the instructor's part to actually understand how to adapt the class to those three types of students.
0: And so, you know, when you describe the crazy fast pedaling and a lot of what I would call nonsense movements, am I, I'm guessing that you don't have a lot of those in your classes?
1: No, that we call that contraindications in the spinning program, you know, mm-hmm. a, a movement or an exercise that is deemed unsafe and not suitable for all. And the reasons why we don't have them are quite simple. They're biomechanically inefficient movements that places too much stress on certain areas of the body. And I'm sure I don't need to go through certain exercises that maybe other instructors or other indoor cycling programs may actually teach as part of their certification. But we certainly don't do things like press-ups on the bike or pedaling really fast or pedaling very slowly with a great deal of resistance or hovers or... Extending the arms on the bars with hyperextension on the back and things like this, but uh, so we don't. We make the we make our classes very specific to riding outside. So I simply say in all of my classes, if we can't do the movement on a bike outside, then we don't do them on the bike inside. It's simple as that.
0: Oh, congratulations. I'm, I love you already. But, you know, and, and, and you know Jennifer Sage, who's uh, you know, frequently on this podcast. and
1: I do know Jennifer
0: very well, yes. Yes, and, and we have, the two of us with her blog and my podcast, we are hoping to try to eliminate as much of that from indoor cycling as we possibly can. Uh, what, what, again, what I described just as nonsense. And, but you're right, if, if you don't do it on a bike, it really doesn't fit in the class. Okay, so that leads me to my next question from uh, Stephen Grady. He asks, how do you handle participants who want to use kind of an aero position? Do you encourage that within your class?
1: Do I encourage it? Now, you're speaking to a triathlete here that actually does use the aero position on his bike outside, and, and I've been using this tri-position or aero bar time trialing position for many, 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 many years, but I would only use it on my bike outside. I never use it on a spinning bike or on a spinner bike, shall I say, or an indoor cycling bike simply because laying the forearms on the handlebars puts tremendous strain on the low back and causes a great deal of flexion in the hips and the spine and the neck and um, sort of – so it increases the sort of extension of the upper spine, basically, from locking up. So, yes, I do have some people in my classes that do lay their arms on the forearms, but, you know – it's very difficult to say, no, you shouldn't do that in your class or especially speaking to a time trialist or a triathlete because, you know, they'll say to you, oh, I do this in my riding outside. I'm used to it. I'm comfortable with it and things like this, which is fine. But what I do try and get across to them is that the position that they're riding in is probably not the same as the position that they're riding on, the bike, you know, on their bike outside. If the bike is set up differently than their you know their time trial bike or triathlon bike it's designed for a road road sort of bike and ge- uh, geometry it hasn't got the the sort of aero bar pads that you rest your arms on and then you cannot physically hold on to a bar in front so you're going to put a tremendous strain on the shoulders so what i like to say is if you wish to keep using that ineffective movement then please feel free to go ahead but you're, you're, you're pretty much yeah you're pretty much uh, going to be teaching yourself to do something ineffectively so that's the sort of the way i try and get around things so i don't say no don't do it but i'll i'll say something in a more positive sort of way so more specifically um, so yeah i do get it in my classes but i don't recommend it because the other thing i say is you know You know, we may have some people around you that may think it's a cool movement and they may try and follow you, but because you're used to it and you've got, you know, your back strong and you're used to the position, you're – you know, you may encourage people to maybe injure themselves or do a movement that's not um, suitable for themselves. So, although you are a very fit individual and a and an athlete, and I you know and I and I commend you on that, then but please don't do it because it because it may encourage others that may not be used to it to actually do it and injure themselves. So it's a nice way of of actually saying that they are sort of very fit and they are athletes, but in a class situation, it it, it may be unsafe for others around them that may try and follow them. I couldn't agree more.
0: And then, and to add my own comment to this, then, of course, you wouldn't suggest anyone be in that position and then actually try to stand and pedal. Ooh, I've never come across
1: that, to be honest, so I can't comment.
0: <laughs> oh, I guess. I see this in my class and, and I see instructors teaching it, you know, where they've got their, you know, again, forearms on the handlebars and then they're standing. And I'm thinking, no, wait a minute. You would never do that on a triathlon in climbing, I should say, you know, that you, you can't do that on a, on a you know, in, in the, you know, down in your aero position, you, you can't steer the bike. And so why you would ever do that? And it looks horrible. And yet I see people do it all the time. So
1: that, that's just crazy. I, I can't really say why people would do that. That's just crazy. Hopefully that the, someone hasn't taught them how to do that from an instructor's point of view, because if they did, my God, that's crazy.
0: Claire asks a question as far as, you know, from as a road cyclist, do you see any contraindications within the spinning program as how it's structured?
1: Is there something in the spinning program that conflicts with road cycling? I suppose the one that stands out is hand position number one, where we have our hands pretty much clasped uh, together and gently and placed on our bars in front when we ride the flat road. The reason why we do that is simply because it encourages – uh, encourages the, the, the instructor to become more relaxed on the bike and it's something that i don't use on the bike outside when i'm riding my bike outside but it's something that just on a spinner bike it just feels right um so hand position number one in the spinning program we don't do on the bike outside but also there are a couple of other movements in the spinning program that we don't do on the bike outside but these are technical movements designed to um get the instructor or the person to transition smoothly between the seated and the standing positions so we call these jumps um, where we're literally moving from a seated to a standing position quite smoothly fairly quickly but nothing too quick so it's just to get the instructor the instructor or the person to transition slowly and progressively in and out the saddle um, and then the other ones we have some pedal drills that we might do in the in the spin on the spinner bike that we may not do on the bike outside. And I'm sure you're familiar with the single leg pedalling drills and things like this. But obviously we wouldn't do that on the bike outside because you'd probably fall off, to be honest, or mm-hmm. it's a bit dangerous. But we do pedal drills on the on a on a spinner bike um just simply to encourage you know a good pedal stroke good pedal technique and but we don't take the feet out we keep both feet in the pedals and you know i just ask the person to pedal with about 90 percent of the of their power coming from one leg and the, the other leg just sort of loafs along to be honest so um yeah a few pedal drills jumps and maybe hand position number one but the actual other movements that we use in the spinner program are all we could all do outside i don't know if that answers her question but hopefully it does
0: well, I think so. Yeah, and, and again, it's difficult to know. The content is good, so let's keep going. Okay. Okay, now, Mark, uh, Veronica Reed asks, what would you suggest Jim's instructors do to keep indoor cyclists motivated to attend classes? Or, you know, what technique works best for increase, increasing class attendance?
1: Well, we see, I work for a large organization of, of health and fitness clubs in the UK called Virgin Active and in London we teach many classes through the week there are probably around about 30 classes through the week to, uh, one in one or two in the morning two in the afternoon and two in the evening so quite a few during the during the week uh, during the day and through the week and the way we try to encourage people to stay coming to our classes we just int- simply introduce a periodization program Um, I know many, many facilities would not include a periodization program in their facilities. For some reasons, I I don't know, but maybe it has something to do with some of the instructors don't want to teach a periodization, maybe because they haven't got the time to put together a, you know, a specific training class for for their class or for their students, and maybe they haven't got the experience to do that. Maybe they're, you know, really just... You know one one of these instructors that always teaches the interval classes and the strength classes week in week out, and that's it because that's all they can teach because they really haven't got the expertise and experience and knowledge to actually teach maybe for instance say an, an endurance class or a recovery class or a race day class or something like that. So we use a periodization program where we'll structure um, the week's training we have a twelve week program and we have this available to all our participants in the studio they can pick one up from reception so they know exactly what class they're going to be doing at what time of the day and we have many different types of classes that we do Uh, we don't have just typical endurance strength intervals um, and race day or recovery classes like we have in the spinning program we we extend that a little bit so we play around with it a little bit so we'll have endurance high end endurance Uh, aerobic intervals anaerobic intervals extensive intervals race day and recovery so we have many many different types of classes Um, so that's just one way that we encourage people to keep coming to our facilities through the year i mean we also find that we do have peaks and troughs with our uh, the the amount of people that do come to our classes and we find that you know the classes are packed when you get through to you know just gone the Christmas period obviously I'm sure everybody has that around the world where everybody's trying to you know lose the few pounds that they gained over Christmas and we see that but then it seems to tail away down as the spring comes in as we see now when the when the sun's you know uh, sun's going down later on in the evening and most people are outside in the spring you know in the spring sun and getting on their bikes outside so to try and get those people back into the studio it's it's it's, it can be challenging but there are ways you can do that um i used to work for another facility at a a very famous school and we used to uh, simply put together a a program a, a periodized program again but at the end of this eight week program we would have a race day but we would actually make it a bit more specific and we'd do a ride very similar to uh, what Jennifer does, and we do an Alpe d'Huez ride or a specific mountain ride or something like that with um, a DVD project, uh, projected onto the back and we'd set up the, the the class in a specific way and make it a bit more of a, a special event. So it's something that the, the, the participants have to uh, – uh, can book onto, but the only way they can book onto it was that they had to have their card filled in by the instructor that they had actually done five – classes in each of the energy zones so they would have had to have done the five endurance classes the five strength classes the five interval classes and so on so it proves that they've actually been very consistent with their training which is the key and it's just and then at the end of it it's just a a nice way of of giving them something back something that little bit special it's not something that i i do uh, weekly, because it's it might get a bit stale if you if you project a DVD on the back wall and make it really special, and you can make it into a charity event and actually um, look at local businesses around, which is what we did, and uh, we actually did a fantastic event um, for. Johnny G's foundation and we did our very first charity ride, we did a three hour ride with a video projection and, and we had uh, two master instructors on stage, myself, Mich- uh, Mich- Michelle and Mich- uh, myself teaching and uh, everybody sk- uh, got sponsored around about 3,000 pounds I think it was at the end of it so that money went to Johnny G's foundation. And we had a fantastic time. So there are there are there are ways that you can um, try and encourage people to stay there. So if you're going to do something like that, make sure that special event is on when maybe you might find that the facilities get a bit quieter in the spring and summer months.
0: Interesting. Well, that's a good point. And actually, you know, there was two questions that followed Veronica's. Uh, one from Jim, and it's B O U R Q U E. Is that Bork-K or Bork? Or whoever. Jim, you know how to pronounce your name, and then Gretchen, and you know they ask the same kind of question as you know how do you evoke creativity or diversity, you know keeping them motivated and and some previous podcasts, you know we've had this discussion where it, it, you can't have everything based on just one class it's it, like you just described, you know you lay it out within an eight week twelve week program, get people to sign in or to buy- to buy in on the on the concept of the period period i you say it. Periodization. There you go. And, uh, <laughs> and and then, you know, again, And but I love the idea of having some kind of a event at the end of it till, that they have, to, they have to train for and then participate in. And uh, those kind of, we have a lot of those classes as well that, yeah, and everybody just gets all excited. You bring in some treats and, and away yeah. you go.
1: Yeah, it's, it's something to look forward to. Why not? They've worked hard. They've been with you. They've showed commitment to you as an instructor. So why not give a little bit something back, you know? Um, So why not? I think it's a fantastic idea.
0: Okay, now my interview with Mark ended up going quite long, so I broke it up into two episodes. Uh, Part two will be coming very shortly. And as an added bonus, Mark's partner, Michelle Colvin, uh, who was actually sitting next to Mark uh, while we were recording his interview, she jumps on the mic and we spend another half hour talking about a number of other things that I think you'll be interested in. Now a couple questions. First, do you like this format? Is it something that you're interested in uh, for future podcast episodes? And if so, you know, drop me a line, let me know. Also, if you're wondering, okay, I do like this. How is it that I get to be able to submit questions? And that's a privilege reserved to those in our community. And it's very easy to join and it's free. Just visit indoorcycleinstructor.com. And on the right side, you can just fill out uh, your name and email address. And then when I have advanced notice of another guest i send out an email and everybody gets to submit questions so until next time thank you for listening